Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. All right, and we're live. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvest in Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, as always, we have a very special episode for you tonight. If you remember back a couple months ago, we had uh, my good friend Shrek on. Uh, he runs the Noob Spiro podcast uh, and is out of uh, Australia. Well, I'm happy tonight that we have another Aussie on the line uh, who I'm going to introduce here momentarily, but uh, really want to get down into some some cooking and uh, a lot of, about hunting and, and the, the happenings down in Australia as far as the, the hunting culture and hunting community, so uh, excited to chat about that. But for the interim, I'll give you an update on myself, so... Uh, elk season is right around the corner. By the time you hear this uh, episode, the antelope archery season will be in full swing. So uh, most likely I won't be sitting in this office. I'll be wandering around the, the eastern side of Colorado looking for antelope. And then outside of that, we've got big plans. Uh, uh, a plethora of the crew are coming through at different points throughout uh, September, October and into November to do various types of hunting ranging from uh, deer to to antelope over to elk both here in Colorado and and up in Wyoming so we'll see how it goes but uh, I'm really excited for the season uh, to open up and begin I think right around the corner you know uh, pronghorn antelope opens up on August 15th uh, followed by um, 
you know, some upland game birds opening on the first and then just a series of, of openings and happenings after that. So really excited for that, getting my bow tuned up, uh, getting ready to go, doing some scouting. So exciting stuff. Uh, the rest of the crew too, uh, why it's just myself and Andrew tonight is the rest of the crew are kind of out wandering or, or doing their own preseason preps to get ready for, uh, for the openers as well. So, uh, I think that is the exciting part. So some other updates, as you may or may not have seen, we launched our first virtual cooking class um, here the second week of August, and uh, we titled that whole series the Harvesting Nature Supper Club, which you can go on, uh, use the link down in the show notes. You can sign up for a class there. We'll be probably running five to ten as the plan per month uh, with different uh, members of our, our, our crew who are, are very, uh, professional, uh, excited, uh, and entertaining chefs that'll teach you how to make whatever dish they're coming up with at the time. Uh, you sign up for the class, uh, get emailed the ingredients ahead of time and then, uh, be ready to rock and roll. So, uh, great thing. We also just released a shirt for that series as well. Uh, kind of a throwback to the neon signs of uh, uh, vintage New York or Chicago or Detroit uh, with the old school neon look to it with a, uh, an elk jumping into the air and a cowboy swinging a cast iron pan as well. So take a look at that. That'll be down in the show notes also, but uh, always fun stuff. So I won't chat too much about myself because I think we can get this conversation rolling uh, as it is going to be a good one, I feel. So I'll introduce our guest. Um, He's from Sydney, Australia. He's a hunter, angler, forager, gardener, and self-taught chef. He's the founder of The Bald Chef, which is a website dedicated to promoting a sustainable and ethical future through the food industry and all various aspects of life. So if you go over to his website, you can find some amazing recipes as well as some products that he either created, uh, cooked up, or sourced locally. Andrew Giuliano, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and chatting with us tonight. I know there's a big uh, big time zone difference between the two of us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I did allude to the fact twice now that you're from Australia uh, and, yeah. and from Sydney in that. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit about kind of where you grew up and and uh, how you were introduced in the outdoors? Yeah, sure can. Yeah, well, I'll start from I'll start from the beginning. So. As you know, I live in Sydney, but I don't live in the city. I live about 30, 40 k's out. So, and I was lucky enough to be living like five to 10 k's away from my grandparents' five-acre property. So I was, and I grew up there a lot of the time. Like in my like when when I was like one, two, three, I, I was there a lot because my parents used to work. So I was introduced to like um, the farm animals really young. So we used to harvest like a pig a year, have our ducks, chickens goats, rabbits, sheep. So I was very lucky to like be exposed to um, being resourceful from a super young age. You know, we had gardens and, and um, yeah, as I, and, I, and I grew up in a family as well that everyone hunted, like my grandfather and dad and uncles all, all hunted and fished. So I did a lot of fishing as well growing up. I did, yeah, I did a lot of fishing 
I sort of got over it, to be honest. <laughs> I was, did, did that much of it, yeah. But, yeah, I did a lot of hunting and fishing. And then, yeah, as, as I grew up, I finished school and done my electrical apprenticeship. And then, yeah, finished that. And then um, actually got injured towards the end of my apprenticeship. And that had six months off. And then I sort of, like, reevaluated my life and started to embrace what I was taught as a child and that and really dove into the, like, cooking and I sort of became a bit domesticated, <laughs> was cooking a lot and that. And I used to just go to the freezer and pull out like whatever was there, you know, so it was like rabbit, hare, duck, whatever it was, and just like cook it up for my family, you know. And over the, at the start I was a bit, bit rough, as adding as you are at the beginning. But, um, and then over the years I started to realise that um, I could sustain myself completely off, off wild game. Because we ha- we've always had freezers full of, full of um, game, like, and, um, but we still would have barbecues and make chicken wings or cutlets or, and then I was like an aha moment, I was like, why are we, why are we, why am I going to the shop and buying meat? I have, we have, we had like kilos and kilos of it, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it be from the farm or from what we've, what we've harvested and we did a lot of um, like small game hunting, that's what I started with, so we chew like rabbits, quails, uh, ducks, hares, a lot of hair. So our fridges were always full and fished as well. So we had like a plethora of fish and game in the freezer, but we'd still, I'd still, like we would still get meat to cook like on the barbecue from, from the butcher, which you, I thought, thought was just a waste. And then I just started thinking like in a very like more like resourceful, resourceful way. And yeah, then I started the Bold Chef and just just started on Instagram and just was posting some like photos of me cooking and that. But then I wanted to like portray a message that um, for people to understand that how important it is to have a connection where our food comes from. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had a bit of a like uh, went through a bit of, sort of a bit of a spiritual experience. I was like, I said to myself like, if I can't, so even through my hunting, like I feel like when you shoot an animal. It's it's from a distance, right? Yeah. And a lot of the time when you when you get there, the animal's dead, you know. Especially if you shoot it in a like ethical spot. So I and I had a lot of farm animals at the farm, like chickens and roosters and stuff like that. Um, and we never used to harvest the roosters because I felt I to be honest, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So then I said, you know what? If I can't bring myself to to, to kill an animals like kill it, kill my own rooster and eat it. Um, I feel like I don't deserve to to eat the meat. Yeah. You know what That's I mean? Fair. Yeah, so then I, that was just me. Like, that was just like this thing in my head. And then I, then, then I brought myself to do it. And then since then, I've started to understand I, my, my view on like nose to tail and using the whole animal and paying the animal's respect has gotten like much, much stronger. And yeah, so now that's, yeah, that's like what I promote on my Instagram and I saw products in that on my Instagram, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm moving towards like teaching, like I'm starting to get courses and that sorted. I want to te- teach people how to like harvest meat and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, nice. that's a bit about me. Yeah. So with your classes, uh, are you planning on sort of taking uh, people out and giving them the whole experience? Or are you just going to do the, the kitchen and cooking aspect of it? So originally, I was gonna do my the like just in the bush and teach people how to like skin 
sharpen knives, butcher up. Sure. From nose to tail, start to finish. And then I want to explain to people like what the ribs are used for, what the loins used for, what the shanks are used for, so they understand how to cook the whole animal and be resourceful nose to tail. Um, and then end with the dinner and stuff like that. Nothing too like fancy, just in like a bush, you know, in, just in the bush. Just like in the, like a, have like a dinner sort of area set up inside the bush. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but then when I was listening to your podcast, I don't know if I mentioned before with Jesse Griffith and yeah. he, he takes people out hunting and like it's super private with the two people and that. I thought about that and I thought like I want to like go into that as well because there's a lot of people that I, um, that I know that want to learn how to hunt and haven't had any, like if you don't know anyone hunting, it's sort of tricky. Like it's mm-hmm. not as open, I feel like in Australia compared to America with the gun laws and stuff like that. Like um, we have less rules with shooting um, animals because there's no like seasons or anything for the invasive, invasive species. Okay. But unless you know someone, you know how it is, like unless you know someone, like it's very tricky to dive into the hunting world, you know? Yep, it's it's often hard to, to get a, not hard to get a mentor, but if, if you don't have a mentor or someone to kind of teach you and, and introduce you, especially like moving to a new place or, or trying to j- jump into it, uh, it can be challenging here. Do you guys have... Um, so here in the States, we have, uh, depending on what state you're living in, you have access to land via like public land. So it's like government owned land. Do you have an equivalent in Australia or is it mostly private yeah. land? No, no, it, it, we've got both. But yeah, we have, yeah, these public land, yeah. So you can get your license and, um, and then you got access to like, there's a bit like website online and then there's access to state forests around, around Australia. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, then there's also national parks. There's some... N- National parks in New South Wales, you're not allowed to hunt in. Sure. But but then down in Mel in Victoria, the state below us, you're allowed to. Okay. So there's, in between each state, there's different laws. Yeah. Yeah. So so here we have we have a couple different so parks. We have state parks and national parks, which are generally closed for hunting unless it's like a special circumstance. Um, mm-hmm. We have national forests um, and like uh, there would be national like wilderness areas. And those are generally open to hunting, maybe with some restrictions, but uh, they're all still either owned by the state governments or the federal government. Uh, so yeah. it, it really depends. But yeah, it seems, seems like it's kind of similar. Do you have to book them in? Um, sometimes, or just it, turn up? sometimes it depends. Uh, a lot of the, the national forest is, is pretty large, so you can just go. But if you run into places where they're maybe trying to manage the animal population there, you may have to enter like a lottery or a drawing in order to get a permit to hunt that place. Okay, so that's yeah. that's where things get a little different. Hmm. What, what are you normally hunting, private or public land? Or? Uh, generally public land. Um, you know, if I go back home where I'm from originally, like my family has land there and I'll go hunt there. Uh, if we go up to uh, Wyoming, which is a state above me now, there's a, a big like several thousand acre ranch that we hunt at uh for uh, antelope it's several thousand acres like it's yeah yeah, so it's it's a it's a pretty good uh ranch and then it's bordered by public land around it so you you want yeah yeah you essentially get on there and then you can access all the different lands but um that's so good yeah I think this year uh, we'll, we'll be primarily accessing public land. And then, two, it varies state by state, but we have 
uh, where like farmers or ranchers can sign up for an access program. So the state will either pay them or give them some type of compensation and they will allow people to come hunt their property with like certain restrictions. Like maybe it's limited to like small game or big game or certain times of the year. Um, wow, that's pretty cool. And, and so you can get access to some private land that way. Nice. And what's, why, why, why are they doing that? What's the advantage? Is it specifically for hunters or like, or is it to like uh, kill an invasive species? Um, so it depends on where you're at, like, and the species you're looking at, but it allows the state to kind of have a, a better hand in the management of the population. And then a lot of times, if you look at the agriculture industry here, like they don't want, they don't, farmers may or may not want like deer or antelope or elk or, you know, certain animals on their property eating their crops. So it mm, encourages yeah. them. They don't have to mess with it. You know, instead I have access to go out to their place and, you know, hunt and, and take those animals off their property. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I think there, there's probably some deeper nuances to it that involve like, uh, some of the state wildlife biologists go out there and maybe help them evaluate their property and, you know, look at the environmental aspect of it. So um, I know there's some some people that do that as well. So. Nice. That's cool. It, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I, I was definitely curious to see um, or to hear about kind of the public lands. That was one of my questions I had, had written down. Um, yeah, to be honest, I haven't personally, I, I've been – like lucky enough to always have like private land to hunt sure. on so i haven't done much public land hunting but i know a lot of people that have and there's a lot of people i follow on youtube that that, that do it and there's a lot of success in it like there's heaps of there's a bit of game in the, in the state forest yeah but depends on which ones you know a lot of them have been like hunted hard and there's some of them just allow dogs just hounds so you're only allowed to hunt there with dogs and then some are just like with bows so it just depends there's different rules for different forests yeah, and, it, and that's the same way here, and, and you know, it's a, the exact same. Like, you may get an area that's open to hunting, but there may not be any game there because they've been hit really hard in the past or, you know, something like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's cool to know the similarities. But um, yeah. when we were talking about invasives, so we have a lot of different invasives here, and, and probably the most predominant ones like the wild pigs here, uh, which yeah, are pretty invasive. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think both the U.S. and Australia hold like probably the largest population of invasive wild pigs uh, yeah, wow. in the world. So, which is crazy. But um, crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most most of the time, there's there's no seasons on that uh, for for the wild pigs, and it's generally like in some states you don't even have to have a license to go hunt them. You can just oh, wow. hunt them. Uh, for instance, down in Texas, people like you know, have hunted them from helicopters and just do like crazy, yeah. crazy things. But if uh, you mentioned earlier, you had listened to the Jesse Griffiths podcast and that one, we I talked, that. we love talked about, podcast, yeah. we talked about pig hunting exclusively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so it's cool. What, what does it look like there? Uh, when you guys do, do pig hunting? Same. So like what you said, with the, so there's people that call them on helicopters and that, mm -hmm. they get, they go to waste. So like they're, they're just calling them like just for invasive recent invasive, um, reasons. Um, like where I hunt is about five hours away. Like our family has a property there and they're mountain pigs. So then pretty switched on. Like they, you see them, like they're pretty scarce. They come and go, you know, they're not, they don't just live there. So they're a bit, bit tricky to hunt. And then if you go out west, like west of Australia and northwest, there's a lot of flat land mm -hmm. and there's heaps of pigs out there. Like 
a lot of pigs out there. Just running so, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But down towards like the state below us, there's not that many wild pigs down in Melbourne, Victoria. But north, north, so north of Sydney and west, there's a lot of a lot of pigs out there. Yeah. Is it just more more open space? Uh, I'm not sure why, to be honest. I don't know why there's not that many pigs below us, but up up the top it's just flat, and they I think they're just flat and a lot of land. Yeah. Okay. A lot of crops, a lot of crops to be dug and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I, I'm gonna ask it, and this is like the stereotypical question that I wanted to talk about was like kangaroo. Or kangaroo. <laughs> you get people in the states and think Australia like there's kangaroos everywhere. Is there, there is. There, there is kangaroos is. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're everywhere. They they um obviously native to uh-huh. Australia. There's a lot of them. Uh, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of kangaroos. Yeah. So is there like um, a, is there a season on kangaroo? No, no, we're not allowed to shoot legally. You're not allowed to shoot kangaroos. Okay. Yeah. So so there's people have special licenses. Uh huh. And they're allowed to shoot them. So it's. It comes under like a game harvesting license. Okay. And then you have to have like your your ute, like or your truck to be like food safe, food safe, and you get your license, and then you shoot the kangaroos and take them to the chillers, and then okay. you then that's all done legally. It has to go through an abattoir, you know. But then also there's um, there also there's primary producers which are like farmers. They can apply for a license, and they're allowed to shoot a certain amount every year. Okay. But but like like. Legally, you're not allowed to shoot kangaroos unless you have a, some sort of license. Okay, so like you and I, if I was to come visit you, we couldn't just go out kangaroo hunting. No, and, okay. and to be honest, there's not much. It's not really. They don't really. It's not really like there's not much hunting to it. They just yeah. stand there, you know. Oh, wow. They're just like big, uh, like big rodent sort of vibes. You know, they're just <laughs> big. Yeah. I guess when you think they, about it that way, yeah. Yeah, they've never. They've never. They don't have any. They've never had any predators. So in Australia, there's no no predators that hunt kangaroo, you know. So they just they have adapted to not just standing around. Like just it's pretty. They just stand there in the paddock, you know. Like sometimes they get scared if they've been on a property that's been shot like shot at a lot. They're sort of more flighty, but generally they'll just stand there and look at you. Like very not much hunting involved with kangaroo. So, so in 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 the states, uh, kangaroo meat like considered pretty exotic. Um, oh yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know. There's, there's probably places here that raise them and sell it, but is most of it, most of the kangaroo meat you would get in Australia is it's harvested by sort of these guys with the special permits that are then put yeah. through the the processors and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they'll shoot all night. You know, they'll just all their spotlight and then they'll shoot everything during the night. Hang it like gun them, hang it up, hang them up, and leave like the liver and heart out uh-huh. for the abattoir. And then. Yeah, and then take them to the to the chillers, like a local chiller. Nice, and then that goes yeah. into like uh like the butcher sells yeah. it. Yeah, or I don't know if they get sent overseas. I'm pretty sure there's a demand overseas for them. I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, I, I think we should be eating a lot more kangaroo. Like it's such a like resourceful uh, meat. There's a lot of them as well, you know. Like, um, yeah, it's a good, nice, very nice meat to eat. Like very lean, mm-hmm. very lean, but the kangaroo tail. If you ever get your hands on a kangaroo tail, like it's like the, it's like it's like an osobuco vibe. Have you tried cooking that before? Uh, I've cooked like, osobuco. Actually, I have your uh, your kangaroo tail stew recipe. And since we're talking about it, we could just we could talk about that recipe if you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Like, um, so there's like it's there's there's invertebrates like joining each like there's bones going through the whole tail. Yep. 
So there's spots where you can slice that, like there's specific joints where you can cut that with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, on that photo, actually, like this was when I never knew how to do that, and I cut it with a with a with a with a saw. Yeah, I can see your cuts took, pretty. Took, took me ages. No, 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 that's not how you do it. <laughs> that was when I was. That was that was years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Since then, I've realised that there's joints where you can cut with a knife. So there's like maybe like I don't know, twenty centimeter pieces. Okay. And then you just yeah, I just I just brown it whether it be on the fire. You can check on the on my on my recipe there, but yeah, I just brown it on the fire, then slow cook it and lo- low and slow like with with um, bay leaf, um, chopped up tomatoes, tin mm-hmm. tomatoes, bit of red wine. That recipe there is like I substituted the kangaroo for hair. Okay. Yeah, so I normally that's like normally my hair stew recipe. Okay. And that recipe goes back to like my dad's and dad's dad. That's like a traditional Greek Cypriot like hair stew recipe. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I noticed yeah. You, you have the red wine in there and then the red wine vinegar. Like it's very Mediterranean. In yeah, its, yeah, uh, yeah. Origins, but that's that's awesome. It look it yeah. looks great. Like I was just looking it's at the tasty, picture. Man. You gotta give it a go. Yeah, I will. I just got to find me a kangaroo tail. Yeah, or even <laughs> hair. Like, you can use hair. Yeah. Now, even even like a... Do you guys have like jackrabbits? Is it jackrabbits? What do you guys have there? Yeah, so we have we have a combination. It depends on where you're at in the States. We have like cottontails. So like they have... Uh, cottontail rabbits have lighter lighter meat. And then we have yeah, yeah, yeah. our jackrabbits, which are hares. Yeah, um, jackrabbit. Yeah. Yeah, if you can get that, if you get a jackrabbit, use their recipe on that and... Ooh. So it's better yeah. for the for the darker meat. Darker meat, yeah, hundred percent. I was even darker looking meat. at this uh, the way the meat's cut as far as the tail. Like it may work for like a shank. Like uh, yeah, hundred oh, percent. Okay. You can do it with venison shank, um, as long as it's dark meat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks good. But tradition traditionally, it's done with hair though. Yeah. With hair. hair okay. Yeah, because in Cyprus, hair is the biggest game animal because they only shoot small game there. There's no big game in, in Cyprus, so that's like the most prized animal is, is hare. Okay, so Cyprus. If you shoot a hare, like, that's Cyprus in, in the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. Island. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you shoot a hare, like, you might only shoot one or two hare in the whole season of hunting, you know, oh, through wow. winter. Yeah, so it's pretty, like, that, that, that dish is, like, very, very special. Like, we take it for granted here because we we, there's plenty of hares around in Australia, but back at home, like, people pay, like, up to 120 euro for a hare. Wow. Yeah. Pretty I'm, the, I'm living in the wrong place in the wrong business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's really cool, though, but I, it, it's neat to hear the origin of the, the recipe, too. That's always fun to tie it together. Um, yeah. So a, as we move sort of, let's hit this other kangaroo recipe I got here. So kangaroo steaks. Yeah. Uh, with your own Mediterranean spice. So, yeah. Um, I'm guessing is that is that a family recipe for spices? No, it's, well, it sort of happened like I. So we used to like eat a lot of chicken wings as we were kids. Yep. It was a cheap, cheap cut, you know. Like my dad used to cook chicken wings on the barbecue, and then there was a point where I started marinating the wings. My dad used to do it. Then my dad's like, "Oh, I started marinating them," and then I just added like a bit of paprika and then garlic powder. He used to always do like coriander and oregano salt. And then I just started adding a few extra things, you know, like I'm a little bit heavy-handed when I'm cooking in that. So I just sort of like, like I like to like experiment, you know. And then yeah, that's how that turned out. But now I use it on everything, like 
can use it on potatoes, veggies, like meat. Um, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it's tasty, yeah. It's pretty cool. Good, good. It's a versatile spice. You can use it on a lot. A lot of things, yeah. But yeah, that recipe there with the kangaroo, so I just deboned the back leg and then just cut up steaks and added like the silver side and, and the rounds and that. And then just like, I marinated, like I melt butter in the, I just melt some butter and then put a few tablespoons of the Mediterranean spice. Uh-huh. And then I pour that in the bowl of, of of the steak. So you can use this recipe on any steak or any red meat. And then, yeah, and I pour, pour it in the bowl and then I'll massage it through, then put it in the fridge overnight or for a few hours and then take it back out, bring it back to room temperature. And then I'll, like, sear it in the cast iron skillet on the barbecue and then just don't overcook it, cook it rare and let it rest and that. And yeah. Pretty tasty, yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. Like a very... Very basic but flavorful way to eat some steaks. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And all my spice. the reason I started doing my spices as well was because a lot of the spices that you get from, like, the shops and that, there are a lot of preservatives and mm-hmm. all these stuff with numbers on the end of them. Like, only God knows what's, what, what's in them. You put you know, dyes so, and all kinds of crazy yeah, things in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, no, nah, screw that. Like, even the chili sauce that I made, like... That lasts for like a year in the fridge, and I've got no preservatives in it. It's just preserving with salt, sugar, and like the vinegar that's in there. You know, we had a uh, we had a guy on the podcast uh, like in our first season, way back in the very beginning. Uh, he owns a company called Tacticalories, and uh, he kind of like was talking about the spice industry as a whole because that's what mm. his his company deals with is uh, making really quality. Like they hand grind all their spices, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, wow. Um, but he was talking about how the bigger spice brands here in the United States, like you may be going and buying something at the store and that spice may be two years old. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is wild. just, it just, that blows my mind. And now it's, it's like crazy. every time I go to the store and I'm like picking up stuff, I'm just like, this is the, I've got Casey's voice in the back of my head. Like, yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> now you're better off. I'm like shopping at like a farmer's market or something or just make your own spice buy in bulk yeah. and mix them yeah we, we've been yeah. doing uh you know we just moved so uh we had to like replenish some of our spices but um even buying uh the herbs fresh and then drying them and yeah, then grinding cool them up and, and and putting them into jars nice. yeah there's some cool websites on the even you can order like organic spices online and they send everything bulk so there's less plastic like yeah um and then you just have your jars and you just fill them up and you just can store them. They last for ages. That's and they're good, like, good spices, yeah. That's what I did. I, I bought a, a bunch of jars um, yeah. basically off off the internet, just blank glass jars, and uh, just put labels on them. And yeah, same with me, actually. I got them in my kitchen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just I got about the... 20, 20 jars. Because if you're cooking every day, like, there's nothing worse than getting out packets and, and like, trying to get out a bit of paprika if you're using like cook if you're cooking like every day taking like and yeah as a chef or whatever for your family like it's it's annoying when you got like little packets of 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 like plastic spices and stuff like that you know what i mean instead of having all the jars in front of you and just like go go ham and i don't know about you but i often like if i'm going to the grocery store and i'm buying all the stuff for my uh my whatever i'm cooking i'm thinking i'm like do I have paprika or do I have cumin or do I have this? And and then I end up like buying extra because you don't want to make another trip back to the store. So then you, nah, end up with like, you end up with like three or four packets of it. So uh, yeah, I've been yeah, trying to 100%. get better about like controlling what I'm, what I'm, my inventory, I guess you could say. Yeah, 100%. 
So cool. So let's let's circle back around to the uh, to the rabbit. So we were talking a little bit about hair, and you yeah. know, I guess the definitive point being hair having darker meat. Uh, are hairs native to Australia? No, 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 not nope. native. No. And then you have rabbits. Yeah. Does Australia also have rabbits with lighter meat? Yeah, lighter meat. Yeah, a lot of rabbit. Yeah, we got we. Yeah, they're pretty pretty invasive. Both they both are. To, both are. Yeah. Okay. Rab, uh, to be honest, hair. I don't think it has that much damage. To the okay. to the uh, environment and that because they don't they don't dig holes or anything in the hairs, uh-huh. and they only have like I think up to two young I'm pretty sure. Okay. But rabbits are like, yeah, they breed like rabbits. You know, you know the thing. Enough. Yeah, and they dig holes and create erosion and like they and we have a lot of drought here in Australia, so like when when we're in drought like there's a if that, like if you've got rabbits and deer and all these invasive species, yeah, they, they're creating a lot of competition. They're putting a lot of pressure on the native native species in Australia, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Yeah, so... So yeah, what, um, I guess, what native species are you allowed to hunt in Australia? Um, I don't think you're allowed to hunt any. No. To be honest. Okay. No, we have, we have a lot of invasive. Yeah, so, so we, the, we talked about, yeah, pigs, yeah, pigs, rabbits, hares. Hares. We have... Um, Deer, okay, yeah, like red red deer, rooster deer, fallow, uh, hog deer, samba, okay, yeah, there's a few deer, yeah, yeah, and um, and then um, what do you say, pigs? Is feral goats as well? Oh, feral a goats, of, okay, yeah, a lot of a lot of feral goats, yeah, and they're just in big mobs, like in the mountains and oh, everywhere around Australia, really, like when you go out west and up north, there's, yeah, there's wild goats everywhere, huh, um. Yeah, they're not really like they're a good feed, really tasty. Like a lot of people shoot one or two, like to fill up their freezers like while they're hunting like other stuff and that. But um, yeah, they're super tasty. Not much. I don't feel like there's much hunting involved. Normally, it's just tricky walk getting them out of where you shot them. Yeah. But they're pretty like chewed out. Like I can see. Really... Um, we we have them here. Uh, you familiar with Hawaii? Like the state kind of out there is yeah. an island. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they have they have a lot of feral goats in Hawaii. Um, mm. so yeah, and I've, I've talked with some, some folks and that have hunted them and they tell me kind of the same thing. Like they're just out there. You have to find wherever they're hanging out at, but once you find mm. where they're hanging out at, generally it's not hard. It's no, not hard not to get hard, to no. them. So no. but now there's a market for them. So like a lot of the farmers are rounding them up, make, putting up like temporary, like, uh, like cages out in the bush and that, and getting their like farm dogs and rounding them up and then selling them like they're getting good money for wild goat at the moment. Huh? Yeah, so yeah, they get I think close to two hundred ahead. Two hundred ahead. Yeah. Wow, for a wild goat. Yeah. Between one twenty and two hundred for a wild goat, they're in really good, really good condition. I don't know. There's a few photos on my Instagram, and I like got a few close-ups, and there's a lot of fat. There's a lot of fat on the goats at my family's property. Like they're in good nick, and these are just like old billy goats as well. Like a lot of people don't eat them, yeah. but I always I like shooting them because. Um, because I, I, we like having like a sustainable um, supply of goat, you know, just because yeah. it feeds our families and stuff like that. So I shoot the billies and I'll make curries and. Um, See, goat goat here in the states, uh, I wouldn't say is as popular as lamb. Yeah, same um, with us. Same yeah. with us. But personally, yeah. I I love goat. Uh, and here me, yeah. you, you see a lot more of the the ethnic communities are eating goats. Same uh, yeah, yeah, same thing as here, yeah, yeah. 
But I, I think it. it's it's such an awesome uh, for my college graduation. We went and uh, we bought a goat and butchered it and did a roast uh, for my college That's graduation. Sick. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, you know what? Also, the fat, the fat in between, the fat on the goat is so. Sometimes, like I miss, I miss fat on meat. You know, like because a lot of the deer that we shoot, there's not that that much fat on it. You know what I mean? Super lean. So, yeah. Yeah, super lean. So it's nice to get like get a bit of fat, like some um, wild fat into you. You know. You got sorry. I was just looking at your Instagram here, and uh, I was looking at pictures of meat and goats <laughs> and deer. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. And so then there is there's no real season or restrictions for hunting invasives. No, nothing. Um, no, they used to, we used to not be able to hunt deer at night. Yeah. Like, but I think that all changed a few years ago. So now we're allowed to hunt them at night because they're pretty invasive. Like, pretty they, they they're pretty wild. Like, there's heaps of them around. Okay, so yeah. I guess. Uh, if if you and I were to go out hunting, uh, what would it look like? What what can you like walk me through the whole process of like what we would do, where we'd go? Yeah, 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 sure can. Yeah, so so where I live now, so I live in, in like yeah, just out of Sydney. I've actually recently moved to um, this place called like down the south coast, and I'm like in like the forest, and that's heaps of deer around there, which is pretty cool. Nice. But so I would I say I would have to come yeah come back to my family house, pick up the guns, leave from here. From my doorstep to the, my family's property is about four and a half hours drive. Okay. South, sort of southwest, is towards uh, the Snowy Mountains. Okay. So in Australia, in New South Wales, there's Snowy Mountains about five hours out of the city, and I'm about an hour and a half before them and a bit west. Okay. Yeah. I'd yeah. have to look at a so, map, but yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like below, like south, southwest of Sydney, but like five hours southwest of Sydney. Okay. In a place called uh, uh, Breadbow. Breadbow, New South Wales. Okay, cool. Yeah. So my, yeah, my family's got a, they've got uh, 1,100 acres there. So, oh, wow. yeah, there's a little cabin and that. So we've got like a little cabin and shed. So we'd, depending when you want to hunt. So what are we hunting? What, what did you want to hunt? Deer, goats, or? I don't know. What, or, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's hunt goat. Why not? So, yeah. So we'd say we'd like, we normally, yeah, you get there, like unpack and that. So, and then, um, yeah, get your gear on and then go for a walk. Like, so there's, there's two valleys behind the shed there. And then we normally get goats in like the second or the first valley. You normally get, there's a mob in there. They're all, 
they're all white. You get a few black ones in that. Okay. Yeah, then you just yeah. So you can sort of with the goats, you can take your pick, pick whichever one you want to shoot, sort of thing. And then we sort of drag it back to the closest road, and then we walk back to the shed, then get the cars and pick them up. We bring up we all, we look, we generally bring back the whole animal. So I've never I haven't really I've ne- haven't really done many hunts where I have to pack out the animal. Okay. We we always are able to get like whether it be a quad bike or a car there. Okay. We've been lucky enough for that year. So we can bring everything back, then we skin them, have a few beers and that, and then I'll cook up like a heart or the liver and kidneys or for a feed. Like while we're like after we've finished walking it back and skinning it and done all that all that stuff all the fun stuff, then I'll cook up like some liver or heart. Nice. And just keep it hang out and that, yeah. Yeah. Um and then if you want to shoot deer, there's also deer on this property, so I normally wake up sunrise or like you walk in the dark for for about 20 minutes, half an hour and then get to the spots sort of where the deer hang out and if they're there, we shoot them. If they're not there, we just move to the next spot. But probably end the hunt around like 8.30, 9am. Okay. Everything sort of goes back and goes back to sleep sort of thing in the scrub and that. Huh. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about you guys? How would, how would um say for example, I wanted to go for, um, I would love to do this by the way, but like a, like an elk hunt or something. So an elk like, hunt. Um, talk to me. Walk, yeah, walk me through it. Well, so it, it would depend on if we were going to hunt public land or private land. Uh, so public, it, public. Public land. Okay, so what you have to do is you have to figure out, uh, so you'd have to look, we'll talk Colorado specific, the state where I live at. So some areas. You're going to do this on Sunay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've, yeah, no. this has been a lot of conversations of recently. So essentially, you got to look if if the area you want to hunt is you have to put into the lottery for, or if you can just buy a license and go. So we're okay. we're just going to buy the license and go. So uh, how much how much is a license worth? Uh, it depends on if you live in the state or out of state. So for me, living in the state, I think it's like fifty bucks uh, no, for a person. Local. Yeah, yeah. For a person living out of the state coming to visit, it's like four or five, five hundred dollars or so. Oh wow! Like, it's pretty expensive. But I mean, you think about it, like an elk's the size of a cow. So, of course, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, will that license last for the whole season or just once? Uh, it, it's it's one time, one animal for the duration of the season. Oh, okay. So okay. you have like one, you have like one a tag. Yeah, yeah. It's a tag. It's essentially yeah. it's exactly what it is. So we'd buy the tag. We would look. Uh, you know, we'd look and see where where we believe elk are. So we'd have to research and figure out what part of are you, the. Are you allowed to like walk in and set up cameras and stuff like that? Or yeah, yeah. Like, do you, yeah. Some yeah? some states, without the gun. Some states, yes, you can. Um, Colorado, you can. Um, the state to the south of us, uh, southwest of us, Arizona, they don't allow that anymore in the entire state, but. The, this state in Colorado, you can. So yeah, you can go over and put up cameras. But um, elk migrate, so they go from higher elevations to lower elevations depending on the time of the year and the temperature. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of guess and figure out where they are. And then essentially, we would gather all our gear, which would be like um, you know tents and rifles and all our our camping stuff, and and we we'd probably try to pack in or we'd load everything into the truck and we'd do a series of like. Uh, basically like have a, a camp at the truck but then hike in and see if we find elk because we'd want to hunt during the time of the year when they're they're mating so they're in okay. like what we call the rut because uh, that's when they're going to be mm. bugling and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and doing all the crazy stuff so that's when we would try to find them because we can also use the calls to locate them or get them to come to us um, nice. 
And then we would, depending on how far we were in, if we were camping, you know, we got into elk, we'd shoot an elk either with rifle, bow, whatever. Uh, that process is sort of the same. It's just looking at a difference in distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, have you shot one before? I've never shot an elk. No. So this oh, is, wow. this is first, this Exciting. is first year for me. So, yeah. um, you know, we'd then we'd quarter it up uh, and take all as much of the meat off the bones as we could. And uh, how many people would you like normally go with? Uh, you know, some people do it by themselves. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm I'm that confident. Actually, I'm not that confident. So there's like three of us hunting together this year. At some point, there may be two of us. Like, yeah. uh, I generally, I think I like to hunt better in, in small groups just cause it yeah. gives you somebody to talk to. It's like a safety aspect. But then once it comes down to like the pack out, uh, you know, you have somebody to help you. So then yeah. we would essentially take as much meat as we could get it back to the, to the truck where we'd have coolers and then we'd come back again if we needed to and make, make two runs. So, nice. um, yeah. And I mean, it, you, you never know how That's far, cool. like, uh, be on a bit of a journey there. Oh yeah, it's it's a great adventure. You know, yeah. it's kind of a you like scouting where you're searching for them while you're also hunting at the same time. So have you started looking yet? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I've been out to a couple places, but the the spots I think we're gonna go are kind of like the southwest part of the state, and uh, like I mentioned, they kind of the elk migrate. Uh, mm. So where they're at now, they may not be in a month. Okay. So, yeah. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. That sounds cool, but yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. Well, and then we'd come, we'd uh, we'd come back to camp, and uh, we'd you probably guys would have cook up some elk. Yeah, oh yeah, we'd cook up probably elk heart. We'd do the liver. Yeah. We'd do a little bit of like the tenderloin, so like on the inside of it. Nice, yeah, of the yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Same with us. Yeah. What? Do you, how do you cook your heart? Um, I like my heart. So I like to chop it up, uh, kind of small, and I like to make a hash out of it, like a oh, hash with like potatoes. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you cut the potatoes into, like, squares, and you, you basically fry them uh, so they yeah, get crispy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you add the heart in there, and you fry that, too, with, like, some peppers like and onions yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sick. I like that. We have, yeah, a, yeah. We have a, good, uh, a good recipe on, on the website of, of Heart Hash, H-A-S-H. Well, yeah, it's pretty good. I recommend That's If sick. you try it, let me know how you like it. Yeah, I will, yeah, 100%. Because I normally do hash and egg sometimes. Yeah, it's the same way. Yeah, so yeah. Same I'd, way, yeah, yeah. I'd take an over-easy egg and put on the top of it. But, yeah, that's probably my right. favorite way to eat heart. I don't know. I have, I have one more heart from last year in my freezer. Uh, my daughter was just telling me uh, that, that we should cook it up here soon. So we probably cool. will. Yeah, nice. What about liver? Um, liver, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge liver fan. I'll be honest. I, I'm not either. But I, I, I cook it up anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, people like enjoy it with like kind of the liver and onions or like sliced yeah. thin and fried. Um, I do like, we have like a pate, you know, where you make like a oh, spread yeah, yeah, out yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in kind of soaking it in milk or mm. salt water. Or, or there's a, there's a couple other different solutions you can nice. use to, it kind of pulls some of that iron taste out of it. Yeah. Very strong. Eh? I've yeah. got a lot of people that I know that love it, and then I, I cook it up, and I'll, like, make it for everyone and have a little bit. Yeah, I'm but the same way. a lot of people like it, yeah. I like if I do end up making a liver, so we have a recipe. So in the, the southeast part of the United States is a state called Louisiana, and there's a, a cultural group there called, like, the Cajun Creoles. So they're, like, uh, French. They're, they're 
not ancestors, not that far back, but their relatives came down from Canada, um, were basically moved out of Canada, French Canada, and and spoke French, and they moved down to the bayous, which are like the swampy areas in Louisiana, and so they make a uh, they make a sausage there called boudin, and uh, boudin sausage has rice and liver in it. Wow, and it's all yeah. Oh yeah, I love it. It, It's the liver is ground up, kind of small, so you don't get as much of the like heavy flavor, and it's mixed in with the rice. But you can also take the same mixture if you don't want to put it in sausage. Is you roll it into balls with like some egg wash and stuff to kind of hold it together in a ball, and roll it in breadcrumbs, and then you fry it. Fry it. Yeah, and they're called boudin balls. That's right. That that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to work a little bit harder for those. For those certain cuts, but that 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 sounds tasty. Yeah, I, I like the I like boudin balls and the, and the boudin sauce is really good. If you if you get a chance, look look it up and and. I will. Yeah. How do you spell it? Uh, it's B U D A N. B O U D A I N, I believe. So let's one recipe. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna circle back around. See how I do this. Right, I'm gonna circle back right. around yeah, to the yeah, rabbits because right. I want to talk about this pickled rabbit recipe. Yeah, I, I love s- that one. I saw that one on your website, and I was like, "Holy smokes, this is such a cool, it's such a cool recipe." Uh, I haven't thought to pickle rabbit. So, can you walk me through oh, sort of like where that sure came can. from, and then I the will. process? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I remember as, as, as a child, as a child, I, like I used to, I used to tell a lot of my grandparents, as I said before, on that five-acre farm. Yeah, and I remember. My late night, my late night snack. You know when you like craving like something to eat, like mm-hmm. a, whether it be chips or something. You know, I crave pickled hair. Huh. My my grandfather used to pickle hair a lot. There wasn't really many spices in it. I remember it was pretty tough, to be honest. But I just loved that like sour pickled flavor. You know. Yeah. And then, and then I thought I thought to myself, uh, this was like and then like years down the track. So my grandfather ended up passing and we, there was no pickled hair left, you know. And then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try pickling rabbit. We didn't have hair at the time. So I remember he roughly, t- I remember him telling me how he made it. It was just pretty simple. I, you just, and just like boil it and jar it and that. But, so then I gave it a go, but then I added a few spices. I put like garlic and rosemary and peppercorns. Um, yeah, I just slow cook it like, then I just slow cook it like a confit style, right? Mm-hmm. And then I pull it, take take the pieces out. Like, but the pieces at this point have fallen apart. So I slow cook it for maybe I don't know two and a half hours on super slow, with um, like white wine and a bit of oil and vinegar. All right, and then yeah, rosemary garlic. There's the recipe there. Yeah, so you just put rosemary garlic, throw your spices in there, and then the liquid is uh, like um, light olive oil, um, uh, vinegar, and then. Um, like lemon juice and some white wine, so it's a little bit like zingy, you know. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a the, bite. The, yeah, a bit of a bite. Yeah. So then you slow cook that for the part, then you jar it, and then you just put like I don't know how much I put there, but I, I normally put about like whether it be like three quarters to one quarter water, three quarters mm-hmm. vinegar, one quarter water. Okay. And they put it in the fridge, and then yeah, I reckon leave it for like maybe six weeks. And then you go crazy. Yeah, so you pull it out. So then what I do, then I pull it out and I flake it in the pan and fry it up and then crack an egg in there. Ooh. And then it's like, we used to have that for bre- like a breakfast. It's like a breakfast. 
so you have that bit of toast and then like fry it up like um pickled rabbit with um with 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 some eggs so it's like a so scrambled rabbit do you, do you keep it in the in the fridge i guess in I'm, the fridge I'm, yeah i'm in curious the fridge, yeah. like how long how long it stays good well, look, I'm not sure because we don't really, we, we eat it pretty. Look, it, it lasts for it lasts for at least uh, so far, I reckon five months. Okay. Six all months right. in the fridge. Yeah, I reckon it lasts longer though. You, you know, if you want it to last longer, I would just put all vinegar. All it vinegar. I reckon it lasts for two years. I reckon it could. Huh. I'm going to test it out. Because we have we we have a I would I would be curious to know for sure because we have you know we do canning here in the states. What uh, you know when you say canning, uh, what do you, what does that mean like with an actual can? No, so it, it's with glass jars. Glass uh, jars, yeah, yeah, but, nice. But like the way you do it is uh, with like a pressure canner. So um, okay. So we had a like a big uh, conference here back a couple months ago up in Montana. And, and I did a, a demonstration on how to can venison. And so cool. what, what, what was the uh, conference about? Uh, so it's, it's this group called Backcountry hunters and anglers. So it's like a public mm-hmm. land access group. And so they nice. help like make sure that we have public land access and we can go out and hunt and fish. And it's, it's a pretty cool group. I, I've been involved That's with cool. them for, you, for a little while. So did you do that live. Uh, yeah, I, I did it live, um, and they had they had a, cool. a pressure canner for me, which is essentially like a pressure cooker. Okay. You know, it's like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a pot with the dial on the top of it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you take the you take the meat and you put in the jars uh, raw, and then you okay. season you season them with whatever you want, and then you put the top you you seal them. And then you you bring the water to the temperature that it needs to be, and then uh, put the lid on it. Uh, you know, I think I'm not going step by step, but the general concept being: mm. you put the lid on the pressure cooker, you bring the pressure cooker up to a specific pressure, um, whatever whatever the recipe. There's each each pressure cooker is different as to what pressure you should use. Um, okay. Uh, it's kind of based on altitude as well. Uh, and then you let it go for a certain amount of time. And what it does is it like, it seals the can completely shut. Um, and the shelf life on those things, like you don't have to keep it in the fridge. You can just put it on the shelf and it'll, it'll stay good for like years. Wow. I gotta give that a go. eh? Yeah. Could I I slow cook them as well? Um, simmer. Well, so when when you do the when you do meat like that it's raw and it actually cooks in the process of of canning okay so and what kind of meat did you do just like sliced up or uh i did i did like chunks of like stew meat nice yeah that's cool that's the same similar thing that's pretty very very similar yeah 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 i see i'll let it give that a go eh? with the with the with the rabbit yeah, that that would and be good. Here and that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can just use any pressure cooker. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's specific pressure cookers made for canning. Uh, I okay, don't think yeah. they're I'm they're not very look. expensive. They have electric ones, and then they have ones you can do on the stovetop. So the one nice. I was doing, uh, I was just using on the stovetop. Uh, so you regulate the the temperature or the pressure with the 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 intensity of the flame. Uh, whereas the like the electric ones, you literally just punch two buttons and hit start, and it like it does it on its own. So that's sick. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's very similar. Yeah, and then that lasts for a few years. How good is that? Eh? 
It's good though. It's good. I I would say that that one thing to think about though, as you're doing that, and I'm sure you see it like with the rabbit is like the different spices that you have in there, that those spices are going to stay and that flavor is going to continue to like intensify. So then after a while, it's like, you may throw something in there. It's like, whoo, this is super, this is very intense. Yeah. Yeah. So I tend to, when I can meat, I just leave it plain. Uh, And I leave it plain because I season it after after but you know you, you know do you put vinegar in that can uh no no what, you don't just just lick nothing just liquid yep water nope because it, it it's the the meat uh the juices from the meat will fill Come it up out. yeah no way That's yeah it's mad. almost like like, like that, a yeah. like a cone fee you think about yeah, it it's yeah like, yeah 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 i like that so and then you know you think on a busy weeknight or whatever you're uh you come home after work and you're like, man, I'm hungry. So easy. Cook yeah, some yeah. rice, cook some pasta, take this meat that's already cooked, throw it in there, mix up some sauce, and like you have a meal. Yeah, I like that. No, that's really good. Really efficient and resourceful. Like yeah. sometimes you have a lot of venison, you don't know what to do with it. Even the rabbit, like that's I feel your 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 uh, your way. I feel is a bit more um, like food safe and like tested in that with yeah. the with the pressure cooker. But that's what I was doing as well. Like you know, like for breakfast or like. Get it out, flake it up, throw it in, boom, you got breakfast done, you know, yeah. or dinner, whatever. Yeah. Super easy. Yeah, it's tasty. So that's cool. Um, so, man, so looking at rabbits, I did see on your Instagram, like, you have a ton, you have a ton of rabbits. Rabbit yeah, photos. Yeah, like, a lot of rabbits, yeah, yeah. We're lucky because we live, I've lived in, used to live in suburbia, Sydney, but we had a friend that had a farm maybe 25 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And she had a few hundred acres there, so we would always head there, like on a Friday afternoon, and shoot some, shoot some rabbits for just to stock up the freezer. So we had a we, had a, we got a good supply of rabbits locally, which is handy. So uh, I saw to you recently on on your Instagram that you uh, you started working on your garden. Yeah, love the garden, man. How's uh how's that going? Yeah, good, good actually. I checked it this morning. Yeah, so it's all the I planted a few things, so they've all grabbed. They looked a bit droopy, to be honest, at the beginning, but they were just like, I think, you know how when you first plant them and the sun hits them, sometimes they look a bit sad, but they've all come up and you know, I've, got a, I've got a few seedlings going and, yeah, I've been gardening for a while now. Like, when I lived on that, like, at the property uh, not far from my house, um, my grandparents used to always have gardens there, like tomatoes and chilies and everything, really, shallots, oh, lettuce, So what are, kale, what are you growing, what are you growing this cucumber. year? So this year... So it's coming up now to spring, so it's exciting, exciting times. I've, I've got six, I've got six, look, I don't have that, because we've just recently, recently moved, we've just got that patch, you know, like, I yeah. normally used to have like six or seven garden beds and that, but yeah, that, that's still decent, like, it's about 2.4 by 7 meters, but, um, yeah, so what are we doing? I've got six tomatoes, and then I've got like the greens, so bok choy, um, spinach, and then at, at the back of the garden, I'm going to put some cucumber in. Just okay. to grow up. Yeah. And then on the right side, I want to put like a lattice to go around and do, put some, I've got this um, pumpkin from Cypress actually. It's like a squash. Okay. But um, yeah, it's like, it's like long, it goes long and you know how normally pumpkin or zucchini, the inside's more like soft? Yeah. This is like firm the whole way through. So it's a bit of a squash vibe, but very, very tasty. So I want to huh. grow that on a lattice on the right side of the garden. But I just want to take it easy because I'll normally plan everything and then they all come to finish and then I'll have nothing to eat, you know what I mean? So I'm just yeah. going to like offset it, just have to like 
hold myself back from planting more stuff. <laughs> you like plant so them all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I normally do. Yeah. But, no, it's good. I'm. Yeah. Uh, we just moved here, so for us, it's uh, we're coming towards the end of summer into fall, and uh, I'm just looking at now maybe what I will plant in the winter because, like, I'm like you. We just moved. Does it snow? To, uh, it will snow. Yeah, it, it'll snow wow. here. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking probably a lot of root vegetables, maybe some kale, um, yeah. some onions, Broccoli. like some some really hardy winter crops. Yeah, nice. Are you gonna have to put a little greenhouse up or something, or? I, I was thinking about it. I don't know. I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. Our yard here isn't isn't large, um, okay. but we've got some space to put some boxes. But I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do a little greenhouse or not. I may. I may do one just to do stuff inside there. And then we have like a hydroponic system inside our house. Like it's a single oh, really? tower. Yeah, it's pretty cool with like the lights and stuff. And that's where we do like our lettuces and our herbs and all that. It's pretty cool. Sweet. Do you have any photos of that up anywhere or? Um, yeah, I, I can send you one. Uh, yeah, I'd love I to do. see how that is. Yeah, that's awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, because you used to do something, didn't did you? I remember listening that you had a, you had a like garden business. With like yeah, a, yeah. So we, we had a farm. It was all uh, hydroponics because, like I was telling yeah, you earlier, yeah, yeah. I lived on, we lived down in Key West on the island and there's no real agriculture down there. So, uh, we started a hydroponic farm where we grew, uh, you know, vegetables, mainly like, lettuces and greens and herbs and stuff like that 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 we sold so it's actually one of those systems that we used um to to grow on now but we have one that's adapted for the inside uh and it's pretty cool you can grow like yeah that's that's such a great idea because like um anyone can do it you know like Mm -hmm. a lot lot of people don't have backyards but everyone has it like most people have like live in a home you know what i mean so when when we moved down to key west and like it's so small and people definitely there don't have a lot of big backyards and they mm. have pa- you know small patios and these these systems only take up like uh four or no two feet by two feet so four square feet uh so wow. they're not very you'd think like what a meter by a meter maybe that's so good and yeah. is it homemade or did you buy it no, no, no. It's it's a company. Uh, the company's called Tower Garden. Uh, my wife actually works as a rep for them, uh, selling the systems. So, uh, is it is it in Australia yet or what? Uh, it may it may be it may be. Yeah, we may have to talk offline after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, that's sick. I'm, that's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, because you, you know what? As well, I, I'm a strong believer for like growing your own. You know, like yeah. And so, some people think, oh, you know, I wait to have like a big place to have my to have my garden. But the more you grow, like this idea is awesome. Because the more you grow, that means the less shopping you're going to do at the big supermarkets where they've yeah. been sprayed with pesticides and whatever else. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you take complete control of it. And it's a, it's not a hard system to grow on because it, it, it has a timer. It waters itself. You just have to make sure the water, wow. it has water, it has nutrients, and then it gets the light it needs. And it's it's pretty pretty straightforward to grow on. Oh, I saw the uh, um, spearfishing. Any spearfishing talk? Yeah, yeah. Let's chat about spearfishing. Do do you do much spearfishing? Because I, I know. Do. I, yeah, tell me about tell me about your tell me about your uh, um, how when you started and and what you like spearfishing and stuff yeah. like that in America. Because I don't really know much about it. Sure. So uh, you know, I, I when I moved down to the Florida Keys is kind of when I started spearfishing, and I was like off and on with it. Um, Did you do like is it like uh, with a boat or just off 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 the side? So a mixture of both. When I first started, it was kind of just going into the water off the shore. Uh, By my house, there were like a a good, 
area like right across the street that I could go. And then uh, as I got down there, I started to meet more and more people with boats, and we started going out and sort of targeting bigger fish in different spots and uh, all that. So you only, so, started, so you only started recently? Uh, it's been about five years ago. Yeah, Five years, okay, yeah, yeah. nice. But I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself like – super into it because you know I, I balance my life between like work and hunting and fishing and like yeah, everything I'm the same, in, so. yeah, yeah. I'm the same, uh but it was as close to you know living down there on the island it was the closest thing i could do to fishing so yeah uh i mean cool. sorry the closest thing i could do to hunting hunting uh, would yeah, be yeah, underwater yeah. hunting so um how about you how did you get into it and um well i, I sort of got over fishing like i started to get over fishing i, I used to do it a lot like i used to fish a lot and and, I, and I, where I lived, I lived far, like pretty far from the boat area, maybe 40, 50 minutes away from putting the boat in. So it was all these long days and not many results, and I was getting over it. And then I just um, had a friend, my friend Grant. He, um, he, like a few years ago, said, oh, let's go for a dive down when we were holidaying down south, and they yeah, jumped in. And, and and I used to spear fish with a hand spear when I was younger, just here and there. Yeah. And then I jumped in with my mate, and yeah, since then, then my girlfriend got me a spear gun, and... Yeah, started diving probably about a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. Haven't done, haven't done, like, haven't shown anything massive or anything, but done a few road trips around, like, up the East Coast, and mm-hmm. um, it was a good way to just to, like, live off live off the land sort of thing, you know? Like, I'd shoot, like, two or three fish, and then that'll be our dinner and lunch and stuff like that. I, t- I tell you, after, like, spearfishing now and going into regular fishing, the thing that gets to me the most is, like, I would rather spearfish because I can dive down and see what's below the water versus, 100%. like fishing on top of the surface with like a lure or a hook and a worm or whatever it's like you're playing this big guessing game when yeah, you get into spear fishing you're like i can get in the water and i know almost instantly if there are fish there or not exactly i know i know and you got a lot of your senses are, are heightened you know yep. like you're holding your breath you're like super present you can't really think about anything else yeah. Oh, yeah. But on the boat there's like some days and you're doing everything you could be doing everything right and it's just – sometimes you're even marking fish and they're just not taking the bait. Oh, know? yeah. Like, it's, it's I just, unbelievable. Uh, I just recorded – so we do this series on here too, Adventures for Food. I don't know if you listen to it, but they're like little short stories by just the person oh, cool. telling the story. And uh, I just recorded one yesterday that uh, – it was my my last time spearfishing down in Florida, and I was uh, spearing for lionfish, particular for yeah. that for a fundraising dinner for that same conference I was just telling you about. And What's uh, lionfish, lionfish. So down here, it's an invasive fish. It's uh, oh, they're wow. venomous. Uh, they're they're really wild looking. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. So we. That's uh, sick. Yeah, but they're the meat is amazing. Wow. And, uh, but we went out this day and like in closer to shore, it was very murky. And then the further we got out, it was crystal clear, but it's like, we were doing everything we could. We were hitting all the right spots. And then the one spot, my buddy's like, there are always lionfish out there at this spot. We pull up and there's a boat sitting there and we're like, Hey guys, you mind if we jump in? And you know, we're looking for some lionfish and they're like, Oh, we just shot nine of them. There are probably not any more down there. We're just like, come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Spewing. So it, it just like you said, you can do everything right, and then yeah, all of a sudden you just I know Something. you just get thrown a curveball. So yeah, I know, I know. You just gotta like swallow it and move on. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I saw you did have a grilled octopus recipe, man. I am such a fan of octopus. Yeah. Did you? Okay. You, you guys yeah, catch, yeah, yeah, yeah. catch it? Yeah, yeah. We yeah we. Well, I I think that one there. I don't know if I shot. I'm pretty sure I shot that one. So when I used to catch it from the from the rod. Uh huh. 
Do you want me to tell you the process on how to cook it in that? Yeah, we can go through all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we normally, so, we, um, I used to catch them as bycatch when I was catching squid with, like, squid jigs, you know what I okay. mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, I, I did a lot of saltwater fishing. So, yeah, it was just with squid jigs and a lot of bycatch. And when I got to about the five to eight kilo mark of octopus in the freezer, I defrost it and put it in, like, a freshly washed cement mixer. Cement Sounds mixer. weird. A cement mixer, you know the okay. one that's big, yeah. Yeah. So then, so you'd have to like wash it and make sure it's all hygienic. You can, yeah, you just wash it well and that. And then, so then you throw your octopus in there and like a half a bag of ice, like from the so, like petrol station, and yeah. then turn it on, right? Okay. And then they turn and turn and turn and turn until they tenderize, and that's that's how I would tenderize octopus before I put it on the barbecue. Wow, I've never yeah. heard of that. Because, you know, cause what, do, you, do you guys ever tenderize your octopus or? Yeah, so you generally like... Um, hit, hit it on the ground and... Yeah, you could do that. You could use the mallet or, uh, mallet. you know, like poach it, sous vide. Like there's a couple of different cooking methods that'll do it. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. Poaching is good. Like sous vide, slow cooking is amazing. But if you want to put it on the grill, you have to, you have to tenderize it. Otherwise, it's really tough. Huh. You can you can you can slow cook it like you can like boil it then put it on the barbecue. Yeah. But to be able to put a like if you if you go to the seafood shops here you'll see that the octopus is like isn't floppy it's like firmed up and curled. Yeah. It's like plump. You know how uh-huh. you see like oh, that that's what happens in the after maybe I don't know how long maybe you just watch them and you see the the octopus slowly turning and firming up and that and then after that you skin it. And then you can put that on the barbecue, and then you, then you, you start sort of Greek style. So we like use a yeah. sandwich. We we sometimes put it in the press, like, and you turn it like that. Okay. We'll put it straight on, but the charcoal has to be like super hot. Yeah, so you get a nice char on it. Get a nice char on it, and it changes color to red, and then cook it on the other side. Then we chop it up. We don't put anything on it before, straight on, and then we put it in a bowl. And then um, I use my Greek spice, so that's got like a garlic, uh, garlic powder oregano, salt, pepper, okay. and then lemon and olive oil. So half lemon, half olive oil, so same, same ratios each. Throw it in the bowl and then mix it up. And then you might have to add a little bit more lemon than that. Yeah. And that's like, that's how we, like that's normally like a, as an entree when we eat like, uh, as like a traditional Greek sort of like barbecue dinner, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So if we're having a barbecue, like often my dad will get like whether we get you put calamari or octopus, that that's like an entree before like the lamb on the spear or something. You know what I mean? Man, that sounds great. It's such a yeah, cool. It's tasty. It's a cool technique. I've never thought about that. Putting a concrete easy, mixer yeah. with ice. Yeah. Yeah. Super yeah. easy. But you, but you got to wait till you because um, before if you we used to like throw it on the ground. I used to have to. It's the biggest mission. Like smash it on the like on the rocks and then like. Massage it in, and that slime comes out. You know that yeah. slime that. Yeah, but you. We, I'd rather just put them in the freezer until you have like a decent amount, and then put them in the cement mixer with ice. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. I like but, it. Yeah, candy. Well, man, uh, I think unfortunately uh, we are out of time at this point. Yeah, but, no, uh, no, all good. But so this this is kind of the point in the show, which, as you know, you you've listened before that we kind of give. Uh, give you the opportunity for any uh, misfire alibi, like a last thought you want to leave, you know, me or the listeners or whoever with. Um, okay. So uh, go ahead when you're ready, fire away. Um, 
I just wanted to say thank you guys for creating a podcast like this because before I found this podcast, um, I was struggling to find like, in Australia there's not much of a community like this. You know, you have like Facebook pages and stuff like that, but there's not much like actual specific podcasts that that talk about wild game cooking and like we we like there's a, it's a niche but people that do love it they love it you know what yeah. I mean so it's nice yeah. to be able to express like to see like get inspiration from other people and just um you get you get a taste of it on Media TV mm-hmm. and like on his podcast as well which is awesome but um I like how like specific you guys are to like wild game cooking and foraging and like living off the land because it's like what I like live by and I just wanted to say thanks for that thanks man that means a lot. It's, it's yeah, good to good to hear. Well, I I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was an honor to talk to you, and and it was great. I learned a lot, uh, a lot about your recipes and about you, and then hunting and fishing in Australia, which I think is great. And uh, I definitely want to have some more conversations and and keep in touch. Uh, yeah, awesome. So it was pretty cool. But uh, for all our listeners out there, how can they connect with you? What's the best way? So you can find me on Instagram, the Bold Chef AU. And um, and then I also have like a website called theboldchefau.com. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, do do you ship your products international? I ha- I don't know, but I but I something I want to look into. Like if I have people that are super interested, like if you want to give them a crack, I'm happy to send them to you guys, and you can guys guys can give them a whirl. But um, it's something I'm looking into. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so fingers keep, keep an eye out. Fingers crossed. We'll keep an eye yeah, out for sure. So uh, well. Everybody, make sure you go over and uh, check out Andrew's Instagram page and his website. Lots of cool stuff there. Lots of great recipes uh, that uh, I would say are not unique to Australia solely. Like they transfer over to the states and the rest of the world as well, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so do that. Once you've checked out his uh, social media, make sure you're following Harvest Nature on all the different social media platforms so you can stay up with what we're doing as well. And then, as always, our show notes are going to be online, so whatever recipes, links, mentions we talked about during this episode, you'll see those there. Uh, You can click them and go straight to it. And then uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. And uh, I say thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.